Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Tools and Tips series. Hi, my name is Shirley. I am an engineer on the web services team at Heroku, and today I am joined by Trey Ford. Trey, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Trey Ford. I'm vice president in product management and responsible for platform trust. And today, Trey and I are going to talk about leadership development. So, Trey, what is leadership development? What is leadership development? Well, we should probably talk about first what leadership is. Um, Leadership is often confused with management. Thinking about management, individual contributors versus management, very different career paths. So uh, understanding subject matter expertise, becoming um, a craftsperson and an expert in uh, a field of expertise, whether that's development or architecture or networking or anything else. Management is about leading teams. Uh, management's ultimately, in my mind, a framework and a structure. I assure you it's harder than it sounds. And moving towards leading non-deterministic systems, uh, humans uh, don't always respond the way that we expect they will. Um, management's often full of failure. So thinking about that in contrast to leadership, uh, leadership, I think it's the apex of what management should be all about. In a one-on-one level, it's about coaching. And at the team level, it's about harmonizing key character qualities in the team and harmonizing their focus, and their attitudes around what needs to be done, the why matters. So you're saying the difference between leadership and management is that management is about harmonizing the strengths of the team. Uh, management is specifically uh, managing people. Managing people is actually the structure of making sure we're all on task, making sure work's getting done, handling the HR paperwork, onboarding, offboarding, helping with the, the pay, the review, the, the HR load that goes with that. Leadership is more about the hearts and the minds actually inspiring and driving towards something I think we all care about on a higher level. So what got you interested in leadership and management and the subject? You know, um, frankly, I think starting off as a manager, I was horrible and I probably still am. But um, I think it was getting a passion around helping my people achieve their full potential. I had the opportunity to work with some absolutely phenomenal people and realizing that with a little bit of coaching, a little bit of support and investment, we could help them achieve the peak of their capability and the sum of the parts was much greater. I'd hate to drop platitudes like one plus one equal three, but in all seriousness, helping bring the very best out of everyone and helping everyone play to strengths and creating safety for them to know that perfect success and perfect execution isn't always required. And that taking some audacious bets allows us to do absolutely phenomenal things. It's really neat to see people outperform their own expectations. Were you an IC before you became a manager? Yeah, all, I, I imagine any good manager or leader was. Did you Were these things that you learned along the way by being a manager, or did you do a lot of research and studying while you were an IC? I think I always had a desire to do this. I think, again, separating out leadership from management, as an IC, you can still be a leader. So in any IC or individual contributor grouping, um, there's still going to be your principals and your leads, the folks that are able to mentor and coach. And I always had a desire to do that. I think what captured my interest was seeing it done really well. People that I really looked up to, people that had the ability to lead groups of low-performing teams to outperform the teams you expected to lead, 
to win competitions or to outperform in whatever metric mattered. Like an uh, underdog move, story. Yeah, I mean, like legitimately leadership and the the establishment of the character qualities and the focus and the personal accountability and the accountability to each other, you can set a tone that absolutely changes the aspects of how that entire team operates. Everyone outperforms if they're well-led, well-coached, well-supported and cared for. So did you come with, to us today with some advice and guidance on how to make that happen? <laughs> um, so first thing I think is interesting is the notion of psychological safety. And I think that's a tone ultimately set by leadership the importance of the team knowing what is important and knowing that if we execute on that, everything else is ultimately going to work itself out. I think that the ability to say, I'm not sure, I don't understand, even the safety to ask or push back or say, I don't know if I can do this, that ultimately falls with the leader of the group. And if the leadership or management doesn't create that atmosphere, you've got a dangerous place to be working in. It's We've all, I think, operated at some point in our lives in a place where we were afraid to say, I'm not comfortable, or I don't think I can do that, or I think that deadline's too early. I think creating that space is really, really important. Yeah, psychological safety is a concept that I heard a lot actually here at Heroku pop up. And this is the first organization that I've worked in, actually, that has had such an explicit focus on it. But it's something that I find really interesting, too, is that how do you create psychological safety for such a diverse group of people? Okay. Uh, especially a remote workforce like what we have yeah. here at Heroku. Um, I think there's a couple different pieces. First is, um, well, I think on my second day of work, uh, I got to sit through something we refer to as fault, faultless retrospectives. So Heroku is real big on retrospectives on projects and incidents. So when there's a platform incident or when there's an unexpected failure, e even on projects that were, we thought were successful, there's always opportunity to improve. But seeing our general manager of the business unit for Heroku step forward and open the call with his failures and his missteps, the assumptions that he made uh, without apology, without um, making excuses legitimately, this is what I did, this fed in, this is where I believe I set other people up for failure, and this is what I think I can do to improve. And we all were able to discuss that objectively and talk about how to grow, creates a tone. And I think it starts at the very top. And I think it takes a commitment of everyone present to foster that and protect that. That's a very fragile thing. Okay. So the takeaway is the, the approach that you've seen is for the leader and the one, the person in the highest position of power to be the first to show vulnerability. I think it's best when it starts at the top. I think that leadership structures can create it even if it's not there at the very top. Um, you know, that feeds into other leadership concepts like success belongs to the team. Failure actually falls to the leadership um, leading from the back and stepping forward to own the blame. You know, one of the books that one of my employees pushed me to read was um, Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willink and uh, Leif Babin. Uh, interesting read, very military focused, uh, a lot of testosterone in that book. But one of the fascinating things about that read was the notion that it starts and ends with the leader. The leader is ultimately responsible. What's neat about that is, for instance, I, I think anyone working in the public cloud We've all done something, whether it's old school data centers where you accidentally killed uh, a network rule on the firewall, or you accidentally set a setting that killed a service or knocked something offline off the internet. We've all done it. We've created an atmosphere or technology that allows one single person to not be human. Human error is natural. It's part of our creation. It's a part of our existence. And there's a scenario where one person with no check, no balance, no protection, no safety net can make a mistake with massive impact. And so the ability for leadership of the organization to say, hey, we don't want those single points of failure. We don't want those single points of collision. No single human should be tasked with that. 
creates an atmosphere saying, hey, how do we do this together? If you're going to go big, you go together. So how would you hold someone accountable for their mistakes and to, to make sure that they're working at the best without making them at fault for their mistakes or singling them out? Right. Well, accountability is important, right? So if we're making the same mistake day every day, week after week, continually, that, that, that's not growth, right? A commitment to excellence and a commitment to growth, that growth mentality requires that we take next steps. So part of the retrospective process is identifying how we're going to prevent this from happening and assigning ownership and figuring out how we're going to work as a team, as individuals, as an organization to close those gaps, to engineer around that. So more than allowing uh, continuous failure in the same way, failure does happen, mistakes happen, but I don't think that failure is actually the right word. Technology, we talk about failures, I think it's a very loaded word, but failure doesn't always have to be final. If we're talking about a process and maintain that growth mentality, we're committed to that. The notion that we can fail forward, we can identify uh, something that didn't work out, something that's gone wrong, and work to close that gap. If we have someone that has no interest in improving or growing or trying not to make those mistakes or looking to solve those problems, that's a very different management problem that has to be managed out, that has to be addressed. Yeah, what you're saying resonates with me because I've held leadership roles before where the reason why I volunteered for it was because I wanted all the glory and then <laughs> I was voted in and I realized I got none of the glory, but anytime anyone screwed up, it was all on my head. Glory is a challenging thing and uh, there's got to be space for people to be human. But if you're in it for your glory, I think that's if, if I can steal from Ben Bergeron, he talks about levels of coaching. You're coaching from a position of title. You're wearing the coach t-shirt and so you should listen to me because of my title. And if you're moving towards the more mature end of what that leadership function really looks like, that coaching relationship looks like, you're doing this because you want to see that person achieve their real potential, maximize what they what they have available and help them exceed their own expectations. You're doing that not to compare yourself, not to raise yourself. It's all about the person you're investing in. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates with me as well, because from that experience, I learned that m- me at the time was not a good leader. We're all on a path. We're all growing. Right? <laughs> Circling back to where we were talking about, um, how do you avoid that single point of failure then in a team? Oh, wow. Single points of failure are hard. So there's the hero focus. Um, a lot of times you'll have an individual that steps forward and uh, answers every Slack ping in the channel. They, uh, they answer every page. They respond to every distribution list email. Um, and it's great to have zeal and hunger. But uh, there's a number of other pieces. One, humans need to sleep. It's uh, the most important thing for knowledge workers. Um, Sleep deprivation is actually more dangerous than drunk driving at a certain point. Imagine writing code that could blow up. I mean, like that's, that's a problem. Um, I I think one of the old axioms we had for Heroku engineering leadership was if you're going to go fast, go alone. So think about a proof of concept or a spike. If you're going to go big, you go together. And so when we talk about addressing single points of failure, when we start about start thinking about addressing individuals or scenarios where you've got that, Again, single point of failure, you've got to think about how the team balances. Don't email me, email my team, uh, those sorts of patterns. So how, as a leader, do you enable everyone on your team to be better, to not have that hero complex, to work better as a team, while not letting themselves fall into the background and not falling behind? Uh, I think there's a couple of pieces. I'm going to steal again from uh, Jocko, um, and if... 
if possible, I'll throw in some links into the podcast notes uh, to some of the books I'm referencing. Um, management leadership, one's transactional, one's really about driving a vision. And so from a leadership standpoint, uh, Jocko talks about um, owning commander's intent, giving the team a massive why to rally behind. What are we actually trying to achieve? And so when we think about that, part of that means enabling decentralized command or allowing people that aren't the leader or the manager at the top of that grouping to be the one making the decisions. You want to decentralize decision-making. So if everyone in the team, in the organizational unit understands what we're trying to achieve and how and why, you're enabling the people closest to the technology, closest to the problems, closest to the situation to make informed decisions because they're aligned with what the whole team's working towards. And that's a really great thing. One easy example for this uh, in day-to-day -day application. Um, so I had, I think, four or five key groups uh, when I was running Heroku Security. And we had team leads meetings where my leadership team would meet. But when we had the full team meeting, my leads, the managers of each of those teams, didn't actually represent their teams. They had one of the ICs represent that mm. team. So when the platform security team was presenting, it wasn't Wade delivering the update. It was one of the team members representing at a leadership level the rest of the team. What's great was if someone's sick offline, has something to deal with, life happens, you have a group of folks that are capable of speaking to one, the overarching reason why, to the status, and allows cohesiveness across the team. So again, it's not about leaving anyone behind. Our job as leaders is to do only what we can do and create space for everyone to grow. I do have a question about giving ICs and people on the team more autonomy. How do you handle a situation when someone may not agree with the fundamental vision? So uh, agreement is hard, and I think clarity is expensive. So let's start with clarity Hold first. On. Yeah. <laughs> so um, getting a clean understanding, like you remember the old game of telephone where you're passing an idea from person to person to person. Mm -hmm. When you're working on confirming commander's intent, so when product and engineering and design and management leadership for Heroku is talking about a strategy or a decision, making sure that we have the correct understanding and we're propagating this down through the levels of engineering, of management, of uh, product and design, these things take time, right? Getting that clear and making sure you've read back correctly what we're trying to achieve, that's expensive. That takes time and it's an investment. And there are like really high costs with getting it wrong, right? So that takes time. So then getting alignment with it, that's difficult. So do you try to find alignment and agreement before that expensive process occurs? At the highest levels, uh, sometimes a management decision has to be made, right? So Jason used to uh, use something called voices, votes, and vetoes, right? So everyone gets a voice. When we're making a decision or we're voting on an epic, um, everyone has a voice. Sometimes everyone gets a vote. That may be a management thing. That may be all the way up at the executive tier. There's going to be a discussion. Sometimes due to lack of time constraint, we may not be able to gather enough data. Sometimes a decision has to be made. The veto is actually the person that's going to make the decision and we're just going to have to figure it out. You make the best decision you possibly can as a group and it falls to that person anyway, right? Remember, if the team fails, who owns it? The leader. In this concept, it's the leader, right? And so that happens at every organizational group all the way up to senior leadership. And so ultimately, if Mark Benioff decides tomorrow we're doing, I don't know, something, he's not going to call me. He's not going to call you. He makes a call and the whole company rallies behind him because he's our leader. And we're going to make that decision. We're going to figure out like, okay, 
this is complicated. We're going to make some hard decisions, but here's the timeline that's set ahead of us. Let's figure it out. Let's go do it. We understand the commander's intent. Let's go to work on it. Uh, so voices, votes, and vetoes. Sometimes there's a time for a discussion. Uh, sometimes there's enough time for a merited decision, but then there's disagree and commit. You and I may not agree, but someone gave us a direction. We'll, we'll log what we thought was useful. And it's not about keeping score. It's we've all been heard, but now we're going to go to work on this. We're going to go down that path. It may be a dead end. It may be the right solution in the end, but we make the best information, miss, miss decision we can with the information available at the time. Have you ever encountered situations where you've had to have that difficult conversation and get someone to see the bigger picture? Oh, absolutely. And earlier in my career, I was the hard-headed guy that had a real hard time dealing with that. And, you know, we're all on a path. We're all on a journey. And at a certain point, it sinks in and connects. And some some decisions are more emotional and a lot harder to stomach. And some decisions are literally, you know, not a factor. It's okay. This is... don't think that's the best way, but you're calling the shots. Let's make it happen. Let's go to work. And we do the thing. So what if we do a demo? Okay, Trey. (laughs) (laughs) I am the lead for Project X, and I strongly disagree with what management has decided. And based on my experience, I don't think that this is the right decision. And it's not what I personally want to do for my career. Okay. So there's two sides of this. And Let's assume that this is a one-on-one discussion that you've come directly to me outside of the team briefing Ooh, on this. Okay. After this, can we also do the scenario of a team discussion? <laughs> sure. Sure. Absolutely. In the best possible case, uh, positive feedback happens in a larger group. Um, as a leader, you don't want to dress someone down in front of a group if you can help it. But if there's contextual things you want to go deep on, sometimes spending everyone's time to go deep on it may not be the best investment. But we'll circle back to that. So one-on-one, if I'm talking to you directly, my initial thought surely would be this. Is this a personal thing that you are personally against or is this organizationally dangerous and you're aware of some impact to the company that maybe we haven't seen and we need to make sure that leadership's aware of before we confirm and lock and execute on this vision? Mm-hmm. It's important that the subject matters again when I talk about decentralized command, the idea that you at the edge have the best picture of the situation, of the technology, of the market environment, of any of these variables. If you've got information that's material to the business that maybe we didn't see, my job's to champion that and run it up the flagpole. Now, I may get a black eye for it. It may legitimately like, hey, we don't have time for this discussion. We're on an insane deadline. I've made my bed. We got to go do this. I'll come back. We'll discuss it. And we're going to go to work. If there's time for that discussion, one of the hardest parts of leadership is knowing on a timeline, does a decision have to be made now or do we have time to do some level of analysis and sometimes there's not enough time. And so as a business, we have to make a very large bet where we're throwing, you know, X number of resources at a project on a timeline and we're going to get it done. So it sounds like in that situation, a good leader would kind of step back and see the big picture and see what the timeline of how everything's happening and whether or not there is space for discussion and then try to separate the personal issues from what's important and whether or not this individual has information that would actually impact the project. Yeah, always. I think it's unbelievably important. You want to listen to your experts. You want to support the people. We're talking about humans. Again, this is non-deterministic engineering. This isn't something I told, I give a computer and the computer gave me what I expected back. You've got better perspective. You're closer to a problem. We need to make sure that we've seen everything. Wait a second. Engineers are human? I thought they just put a chip in our body when right, we get hired. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So how would you navigate that difficult conversation when it's in a group? Would you also candidly ask them if they have more information or whether it's personal? 
that's a that's a hard one to call. It depends on the group, and it depends on the individual. Uh, you don't want to eviscerate and skewer someone, and put them on the spot. They may or may not, depending on their personality, their profile, their comfort, the health of their relationship with the team, respond well to that. They may feel that you're personally assaulting them, questioning their their intelligence or their integrity or their rational thinking. And it's been my privilege to serve a lot of amazing engineers. That's one of my favorite parts about Heroku. And working with these engineers, a lot of us are on the autistic spectrum. And so that's not going to like bode well for how someone feels or responds. It's not going to bring their very best out. It may very well be that you've got a high level of trust and uh, the team, a very cohesive team, and a lot of psychological safety. We're able to say, hey, tell me what I'm missing. There's probably more in this group that haven't spoken up. What am I missing? Understand this is time constrained, but there's something dangerous. If this is something personal, we need to go on one, say the word. But if I'm missing it, I need to make sure I bring this back up to leadership. What do you got? Okay. I hope that I'd have the presence of mind to sound that rational at the time, but these things are hard when things are real. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot with a live action demo. <laughs> That's exactly how it is in real life though, right? <laughs> so how, as a leader and a manager, do you keep yourself together? Because you have to devote so much mental and emotional energy into pulling others up and connecting all different layers of the organization. Do you have any advice? Uh, I would compare this a lot to the notion of uh, constraints. Everyone, everyone listening to this podcast, everyone I work with at Heroku, everyone at Salesforce, I think most of the customers I've interacted, deal with constraints, whether they're artificial or real. We all have more work than we're able to get done. And I think we need to be reminded that constraints are a good thing. They force us to prioritize, determine what's most valuable. What's the most important thing I can do today? And how do we maintain priority? So taking a step back on how you deal with this, one of the most important things in the Heroku V2 mom is Ohana. One of the most important things in my team when I ran security for Heroku was actually team health and wellness. And as silly as this sounds, the type of folks that we've interact with as Heroku customers, I can tell you Heroku engineering at large operates with a very high level of drive. You don't ask them to show up for work. They love what they do. Yeah, They believe in what they do and we know that it matters. I believe personally that creating a platform that's not only the fastest way to go from idea to URL, but is the safest way to do it is huge to me, massively important to me as a security professional. But with that in mind, I've got folks in my org or did, I don't lead that team anymore, um, <laughs> that would work 20 or 40 hours in a day if they could squeeze it in. And we had a number of folks that pushed themselves to a point where, despite our best inputs, like literally had to take some time off to get get well. And burnout's a real thing. We all really? talk about it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, in the security world, we work with incidents. And of course, we have the SR and the uh, production engineering philosophy here. So with total ownership and how we've applied that, we have this idea of, total ownership on uh, platform incidents. So you have a group of teams that are showing up that are working a problem. And in the best case, you've got a well-staffed team that's able to work around the clock and hand off after a number of hours on IC. And that's a great thing. But when you're running an incident and the security teams are usually pretty small, we tend to work some really long days. And incidents so don't wait. We, incidents don't wait. And uh, neither does sleep. <laughs> At a certain point, certain point, you're doing more damage than value, right? So for me, I started with um, prioritizing health and team collaboration. I wanted physical health to be important for um, the individual contributors in my organization. That makes us better teammates, better friends, better coworkers, better family members, but ultimately it improves your work product. And as silly as this sounds, if you're prioritizing some sort of physical activity, and 
I don't want to go tech bro because I don't think that's the right attitude, but the notion of doing something that's good for you. I don't care if it's yoga or, um, or meditation or CrossFit or anything else. You've got to be deliberate about investing in your wellness. Doing that's going to force you to eat a little better. We all know how to take care of ourselves. You eat better. You rest a little more, drink a little more water, maybe a little less alcohol. <laughs> like, hey, hey, the hey. process is pretty clear. <laughs> right, right. But doing this allows us to bring our best, best of the team. It allows us to be in a less stressed state, uh, allows us to respond and take things that are off balance or we're human. Sometimes people say things and it comes out wrong. Yeah, yeah. And so it'll, it allows a little more grace, a little more space to receive and process what happened and realize there's a human on the other end of that email or that Slack message <laughs> or that page. And uh, they're simply looking for guidance or wanting to do the right thing. I haven't worked with anybody here at Heroku that has legitimately gone out of their way to create pain for other teams. <laughs> like it, like most businesses don't run that way. Yeah. And so remembering that we are working with humans and we are investing in these relationships and we are trying to find a path to answer your question directly, starting off with taking care of yourself and pushing your team to do that allows them to bring a better version of themselves. If you're making time to rest and you're making time to train and you're making time for your family and your personal relationships and spiritual investments or anything else you're doing for you, you're bringing a whole person to work. That also creates the space to say, here's my priorities. Salesforce uses the V2 mom strategy. Heroku's aggressive about trying to maintain clean priorities. We report back on that. That's how our town halls work. That's how all of our engineering planning rolls up, right? We try to be clear on our priority and understand the work we're investing in how does it map back to the team? And so that allows us to make those trade-offs and creates, again, the psychological safety to say, hey, I would love to do that. I'm actually really interested in that. But in the current priority stack and what my team's depending on me and the external dependencies across the teams, I can't take that on right now. And it creates space for that. But how do you, especially on the remote team, you know, sometimes I might see that my teammates are tired or it seems like there's something off about them, but I would feel awkward to ask. And how do you, you know, not be intrusive, but still monitor everyone's health? So that that's, that's a sensitive one. And every organization has its own HR posture on this. I think of this in two ways. First, I think it's important to address unhealthy patterns and to speak openly about it. And I think that's a cultural thing. And there are cultures around the world and HR systems that maybe that's not a great idea. Uh, what I instituted with my crew that I've, I've personally found really great value from was this. So we used something called stand-up bot or something like that. It was a bot that we had in Slack that would pop up and ask us a series of questions. Oh, Geekbot. What are you working on today? Geekbot, there yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, so what'd you do yesterday? What are you doing today? Do you have any blockers? And in leadership, blockers are our primary responsibility. If something comes up, our job is to block, tackle, create space, or deal with problems most important thing you can do for your management is make sure they never get surprised. Right. <laughs> and so blockers early and often is a great thing for us to be aware of, but we instituted one more separate Geekbot question sequence that asked, what have you done today? Or what have you done this week for personal wellness? And there are folks that would blow it off and there would be people that would report back in specific ways that would raise your eyebrows. And so I would meet with my leads directly be like, Hey, I saw that, so-and-so is having this pattern or this issue or this person we talked in their last one-on-one, -on -one, they were going to invest in this aspect of their personal health and I haven't seen anything about this. Can you check in on this? And what's fascinating about this is a deeply rooted human trait. 
people will treat their pets better than they will treat themselves. People yes. will spend an amazing amount of money for uh, the care and support of their and the medications for their animals, but they won't do it for themselves. They won't go to the doctor. They won't get a second opinion. They won't go to um, physical therapy, like the things it takes. They know how to get better or they know how to find the experts to get the answers, but they won't make the investment for themselves. And more than just the team, more than just themselves, it affects their family and everybody they care about. Well, arguably, and it's more expensive and difficult to do it for a human than an animal. Yes, and I imagine we probably have better. Well, I'm very grateful for Salesforce benefits, but um, most companies that have some level of benefits probably have better human-based benefits than they do critter-based <laughs> benefits. That's true, that's true. Um, but pushing people to do a few things for themselves and checking in and asking pointedly periodically, I think is a great thing. And it allows the, it, again, for me, in my experience, I saw that it drove conversation about this. And so whether it was within the team or if you have a friend in the, in the group that sees this and checks in on you, the bottom line is people often needs pushed. They, they need pushed to take care of themselves and no one's going to do it for you. I can't work out for you, Shirley. I can't eat my broccoli for you. Oh, like, man. These are things you have to do for yourself, right? And sometimes you just need a little push. But the bottom line is, and again, this is another Salesforce thing. We talk about Ohana, but this is an extension of our family. And the way that we treat each other at work will propagate into how we treat others in our life. So as an IC, do you have any advice or strategies that you've recommended to your ICs that have been helpful to help them be more productive? Focus is hard. Again, um, we talked about how uh, clarity is expensive. The idea of being able to go deep on something, individual contributors, especially in software engineering, often have to load a whole bunch of disparate context into their head. Uh, with Heroku, we have so many services that power the platform. There's no one human that has a full picture of the state, current architecture and responsibilities and operational patterns of the whole platform. I can't imagine how some of our core services and other teams build. Like, it's amazing. But that's not something that if I walk over, hey, Shirley, hey, Shirley, Shirley, hey. What's up? You're, you're never going to keep all that loaded in your head if you can't sit still and focus for you know, a period of time. And it's going to vary by the person and the workload. So something we tried to institute with my team, and I've done this at a couple of jobs, is this notion of dedicated focus time. We called it Icarus focus. It's a real bad uh, James Bond reference. They had this laser beam that would gather with a bunch of crystals, all the sunlight and turn it into a big laser. The idea was this, the team would block and tackle for someone that had an Icarus icon and agreed upon thing with the team. So they would go dark for a period of hours so they could read up or go deep or do some development or troubleshoot something. And they would drop out of Slack. We knew how to blow them up on their phone and we had PagerDuty or anything else we needed to get a hold of you in an emergency situation. But the idea was the team knew that Shirley's going dark to try to troubleshoot a re-implementation of something for this one service. And so she needs a couple of hours and may take a couple cycles of that. So use a Pomodoro timer or whatever operational pattern you find that helps you maintain focus to go deep. But the team would block and tackle to create space for rotating members to go on focus. And so you kind of break up your tasks. Someone would be, be on, uh, on Icarus focus and someone else would be monitoring the channel and responding to transactional requests uh, for the team or the email and that kind of thing. Other people would be working on strategic work, working on documentation or other stuff. You'd kind of rotate your duties. And so you'd be on a cycle where you'd have a week where you're going deep on specific types of development or pairing or whatever else you're doing. But the idea that you create space for each other to do that is so valuable and so important. I really like that idea. 
But I have a question about it because a lot of the times engineers work in flow states or they're very temperamental about how they work. So do you kind of have a schedule and a rotation where you're scheduled to be in Icarus focus? Or is it when someone feels the motivation or feels like they need to get something done, they can drop in the slack and ask for this time? I love how humans are so uniform in our behavioral patterns and thinking. Um, you know, you're going to work as a team to figure out what's, what works best for you, right? Uh, some people find their flow certain times of day. Um, I've known people that do like polyphasic sleep where they're always, they seemingly always awake. They only sleep for like an hour or two at a time. Like I don't understand any of this. The bottom line is people are all different. And so you're going to find what's going to be best for your team. And I, again, in a leadership capacity, your job is to harmonize that team. And so you find a way to do that. Once you have a level of trust and understanding and you've built that relationship across the team, you're going to know how to play to each other's strengths and create space for people to bring their very best. That's the outcome, right? Okay, so the takeaway is adapt it to the team. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can, maybe it's on schedule. It may be like, hey, I just had an idea. Can I get 30 minutes to go like do this? Can I, can I steal two hours? Can I blow off this meeting? Like, If you're communicating, that's probably a great thing. What's perhaps unhealthy is out of left field, surely sends a ping into the channel and disappears for a day or two. Yeah, peace out. And it happens every week. Trust and communication are probably the foundations of any relationship. And so creating... Uh, the context, investing in the in the people, understanding each other, and then communicating where you're at, what you need, what you're trying to achieve, like that. That's I think the starting place. So, do you have any recommendations for an individual contributor to resources to be a better leader, and if they're thinking about management, to start training themselves to be a good manager? I think the best leaders are really good followers. You can't be a great leader if you can't follow. Um, as a follower, it's your job to uh, ask and confirm and make sure you've got an understanding of what the team's trying to achieve. Again, that Jocko commander's intent piece. Uh, part of being a good follower is being able to lead. And so if you've got a group of folks where you're rotating in and leading on projects and taking leadership responsibilities for different efforts, I think it's a great thing. Uh, there's a body of books. So Chasing Excellence from Ben Bergeron. Um, uh, apologies, it's a CrossFit book. It's on coaching, but um, Ben focuses all of his athletes. His coaching starts with teaching character qualities. You can't achieve your very best if you can't get to a strong character posture. And so it's it's actually a really, really great book. Uh, the score will take care of itself. I'm spacing. It was the 49ers head coach. That's probably the longer form version of Chasing Excellence. Bill Walsh. Uh, yes, Bill Walsh. That's right. Uh, Extreme Ownership uh, and um, Dichotomies, the follow-up book by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Phenomenal read. Uh, if you want an extra taste of testosterone, listen to the podcast because it's uh, just awesome. Talking to the wrong um, person, buddy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely hilarious. Well, you're talk, you're listening to a couple of Navy SEALs share their <laughs> lessons from the battlefield. So it's, oh, it's that sounds exciting. Trip. Yeah. Uh, Drive by Pink, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Crucial Conversations is probably the Kung Fu weaponized version of How to Win Friends. Um, these are these are classic books, and like there's so many books written on communication and leadership and business, but uh, these are on my short list of favorites. Um, then there's another one called Slack. Um, I'll drop a link for this as well. Perfect. Well, Trey, thank you for joining us today. And that's all, folks. Hopefully this podcast has inspired you to be a better leader and a better manager. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Codish Podcast. 
Kodish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Kodish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.